0: Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.
1: Bibles, just turn to Luke chapter ten. I'm going to read from verse 25 to 37, and it's a parable. Of the Bibles, if you can, it will be on the screen too. It says this: On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be coming down the same road, and when he saw the man, he paused, so he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, "'passed by on the other side. "'But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, "'and when he saw him, he took pity on him. "'He went to him and bandaged his wounds, "'pouring on oil and wine. "'Then he put the man on his own donkey, "'brought him to an inn, and took care of him. "'The next day he took out two denarii "'and gave them to the innkeeper. "'Look after him,' he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This morning, we're going to be looking at the church as agents of mercy and compassion called to go and do likewise, just as Jesus says in that parable. You know, this parable radically depicts the call upon the church to be agents of mercy and compassion. It clearly talks about what that actually looks like, how the church is to love the vulnerable and the poor in here and in society. And this parable shows us that radically loving the poor and loving the vulnerable, as Jesus calls us to do, is far more far-reaching and far more radical than we would at times love or like to believe. It's far more far-reaching and far more radical. And what we're going to look at today is four things. We're going to look at the fact that loving the poor and vulnerable, the way that Jesus calls us to do it, involves us laying down our own agendas. Secondly, loving the poor and the vulnerable the way that the Bible commands us to will involve us picking up the burdens of the poor and bearing them ourselves. Thirdly, loving and going to the poor and the vulnerable will involve us taking on risk. And fourthly, loving the poor. And meeting the needs of the vulnerable will involve us rethinking what it means to be a neighbor. And rethinking the term neighbor. So number one, loving the poor and vulnerable involves laying down our agendas. You know, throughout scripture, God introduces himself or God is described as a God who is a father to the fatherless. Psalms talk about him being a father to the fatherless, for example. Defender of the widow, the one who watches over the immigrant, the one who sets prisoners free, the one who gives sight to the blind, and the one who feeds the hungry. Scripture is full of, not just the Psalms, but full of descriptions that describe God as someone, a God who has a heart and a desire and a love for the poor and for the vulnerable. In Israel society, you see, and most societies around that time, the fatherless, the widows, the foreigners, the infirm, the poor, they were the most vulnerable in society. They were the most vulnerable persons. And God holds a special place in his heart for them. He holds a special place in his heart for the most vulnerable in society, for the poor. Because the reality is, the poor are most likely to fall victims of injustice, the poor are most likely to become victims of abuse in society. Isn't that right? Because, you see, if you are wealthy, or if you come from means, you're more likely to get better jobs. You're more likely to be able to afford good education, be able to afford good health care, not fall victim to bad doctors that are out there. You see, the poor are more likely to be unable to defend themselves, to be unable to afford good legal counsel, they are more likely to become victims of abuse and victims of injustice. Even here in Dubai, if you have little to begin with, if you are poor to begin with, you are more likely to end up working for an employer who would abuse you, or working for an employer who is unjust, who maybe doesn't pay on time, who maybe withholds your passport, who maybe doesn't pay at all. If you come from means, if you have a lot to begin with, you are more likely to end up in a job that's good, that provides well for you, an employer who treats you well. And God cares about those who have little to begin with, those who are more likely to become the victims of abuse, the victims of injustice. And in our society today, the poor and the vulnerable in our society, if you like, and this list isn't limited to, but makes up the immigrant, the refugee, low-skilled workers, laborers, domestic help, low-income families, the uneducated, those in labor camps, maybe those burdened with crippling, insurmountable debt, those who don't have visas and are trapped here, they are some of the people who make up the most vulnerable in our society today. So why should we be concerned about the poor and the vulnerable? Why should we see ourselves as a church as agents of mercy and compassion? Well, the answer is because God is concerned about the poor. God is concerned about the vulnerable. And so we should, too, have a heart for the poor and the vulnerable. We should love the poor and the vulnerable. And that means having God's heart, and that means taking up God's agenda. Because the poor and the vulnerable are on his heart, and the poor and the vulnerable are on his agenda. But you see, to do that, it would mean being willing to lay down at times, or permanently, our own agendas. To take up God's agenda, it may mean laying down permanently or at times, our own agenda. Verse 33 says this, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, it's safe to say that the Samaritan, okay, he had somewhere to go that day, okay? He had an agenda, he had a goal, because you would never walk that road Unless you had somewhere to go, unless you had a purpose, it was a dangerous road, the Jericho Road, and you wouldn't have walked it unless you had a good reason to be walking down that road. He had an agenda, safe to say. It's also safe to say that he probably didn't make it to his destination that day. He probably didn't achieve his agenda that day. Or at least he didn't make it on time. If he had any appointments, no matter how important they were, he missed them because he responded to this man that he sees in the road, this vulnerable, beaten, dying man. You see, when people move to a city like Dubai, they usually move here with an agenda. Do you agree? Now, you may have moved here with an agenda, yeah? Now, you may still have an agenda for being here. And maybe you came here to make a certain amount of money and to save a certain amount of money. Maybe you came here to buy a house back home. You came here to further your career. Maybe you came here just because Dubai offered you a lifestyle you couldn't have at home, and your agenda is to keep your head down while you're here, enjoy the lifestyle, and enjoy all that it gives you. Many people come here with an agenda. And some of those agendas are not necessarily bad. Making money, saving money, not a bad thing. But the problem is, we usually work very hard to protect our agendas, don't we? We work very hard to protect our agendas. We see them sometimes as higher callings, maybe. Something that is incredibly important. Something that shouldn't be messed with. Something that shouldn't be touched. Our agendas are important to us. Now, the priest and the Levite who Jesus said walked past, walked on by, they probably had good reasons for not stopping. Firstly, they probably had somewhere where they are going to. And the reality was for them to stop and for them to respond to the needs of this man, it would have firstly involved putting their agenda on hold temporarily. Or maybe putting their agenda on hold permanently. Why? Because it's likely that they too would get attacked and killed and beaten on that road if they stopped for too long. Secondly, the Levitical code states that if you to touch, if a Jew was to touch a dead body, they would be ceremonially unclean for a certain amount of time. The priest and the Levite, they had a higher calling. They had a professional job. They were in the temple. And if they touched a dead body, if that man was already dead or about to die, it would have put their professional responsibilities on hold. Their agenda would have been on hold temporarily or permanently. So despite being a Jew like this man in the road, despite being from the same place as him, and despite being commanded by God as Jews to respond in mercy to strangers in need, what do they do? They let their agenda dictate how they acted. They let their agenda dictate their actions. And they didn't stop. They walked on. But then Jesus puts this Samaritan in the story. Now, a Samaritan had every reason for not stopping, for not responding. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. Maybe you've come from a culture where your culture hates another culture, or your culture is hated by another one, where there's animosity. The Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. You would have forgiven a Samaritan for leaving the man to die, maybe even for putting the, kind of the last boot in and walking on. But he didn't. That Samaritan put his agenda on hold, and he responded in mercy and compassion to that man, and he helped him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Just think about it. Whose agenda are you on right now? Whose agenda is most important to you? Is it your agenda? Is your agenda so important that it leaves absolutely no room for God to come in and change your agenda, to challenge your agenda, to give you a new agenda? Have you ever asked the question, why am I here in the first place? Is it to better my lifestyle, better my quality of living? Or am I here to help someone else better their life and their quality of life? What about the pay rise or the promotion that you recently had, maybe? Is that in order to benefit you completely? Is it all about your agenda to further your career and further your savings goals? Or is God calling you to take up his agenda? Use that extra income to respond to the poor and the vulnerable here and in society around us. You see, taking up the call to the poor and the vulnerable will mean taking on God's agenda and being prepared to lay down our own agenda just like the Samaritan did. Secondly, loving the poor and vulnerable involves bearing their burdens. Verse 35 says this. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. See, Jesus depicts here a man meeting material, physical, and long-term economic needs. The reality is, the reality is, taking on those expenses could have been huge. Have you thought about it? When he says, you know what, I'll pay long-term for his needs. Just tell me what you spent, I'll pay it. He didn't know how much that was going to be, did he? He was prepared to bear the burden of that man long term, only knowing one thing, that it was going to cost him. He didn't know how much it was going to cost him. You know, one of the... one of the <laughs> Just hold that a second. You know, one of the main objections to bearing the burdens of the poor and vulnerable in our society is we may not have enough. We don't have enough extra income, right? i don't have enough i barely have enough for myself i barely have enough for myself what we often mean is you know what if i if i bear the burdens of somebody else that's going to limit my quality of life that's going to eat into the quality of life that i enjoy but in galatians paul says this to the church bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ what does it mean to bear someone's burden you know what if i if i see patrick if I see Patrick, and he looks more burdened than me, do you know what I'm called to do? I'm called to bear his burden. I'm called to go to him, and I'm called to take some of his burden onto myself. That's what it means to bear someone's burden. You see, Patrick's burden... Hello? Patrick's burden is now lighter. My burden is now greater. Thank you. You can, you can sit down there. But you know what? <laughs> but you know what? That is what we are called to do. We see someone around us who is heavy burdened, more burdened than me. We're called to go and take some of their burden. Now, you may not be able to take it all like I just did, by the way. You may only be able to take some of it. But the reality is when we bear someone's burden, do you know what it does to us? It eats into our quality of life. It costs us. You see, my burden is now heavier because Patrick's is lighter. That's what it means. When Paul says to the church like this, he says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. He means take on their load. Feel what it's like for them. That's what bearing one another's burdens is. It's me feeling your burden. And so if it doesn't affect me, I'm not bearing your burdens. Thank you, Patrick. Isn't he good? Let me give you another example. I want to give you two examples, two contrasting examples, okay? In 2018, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he donated two billion U.S. dollars to help the poor, to help the homeless in America. Two, not million, two billion U.S. dollars to help the homeless in America. It was one of the biggest, one of the biggest donations in history. And you would think that it would be met with widespread praise and widespread applause, Jeff probably thought it would be. But it wasn't. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was met with skepticism and a lack of applause, and the press picked up on it, and there were numerous articles out around the time about this. And I think there's two reasons two reasons why it wasn't met with widespread applause. Firstly, despite the sheer scale of that donation, two billion U.S dollars. It did, not, it did not reveal or it did not demonstrate a heart for the poor and the vulnerable. You see, while Jeff Bezos was donating $2 billion to the homeless in America, some of his employees, it was reported, who worked in the Amazon warehouses were so underpaid that they couldn't afford their own housing. They were living in tents near to the Amazon headquarters, near to the Amazon warehouses. His donation, no matter how big, it didn't reveal a part for the poor and the vulnerable. Secondly, it didn't demonstrate a willingness to bear the burdens of the poor and the vulnerable. Two billion U.S. dollars is a lot of money, hey? Someone donating that is incredible. But at the time, Jeff Bezos was worth 120-plus billion U.S. dollars. His donation was around 1% of his net worth. It barely made a difference to his bank account. Didn't demonstrate a willingness to bear the burdens of the poor and the vulnerable. And so the world's press was skeptical. Let me give you the second example. This week I was with a couple. I was chatting to them. They've recently come back from a trip abroad. And they were telling me about when they were abroad, how they had come across a big financial need. They had come across very poor, very very vulnerable people. And they were telling me about how they intended and how they planned to help and how they intended to respond and meet some of that need. Now, they could have said to me, you know what, Joel, we've got so much money that it's really not going to make a big difference to us to do this long term. It's not going to affect our bank account. It will be okay. But it didn't say that. They do okay. They've got good jobs. But they're not super wealthy. This will make a difference. Secondly, they could have said to me, well, you know what? Well, we're just going to do it for a time, but we're not going to do it long term. They didn't say that. They said, we plan to do this long term. Thirdly, they could have said, you know, what we plan to do, Joel, is give less to the church here and we'll we'll redirect that back home to this need. They didn't say that either, I'm glad to say. In fact, I know that they are some of the most faith-filled and faithful givers in City Hill. Instead, what they said was, they said, Our rent is up on our apartment soon. We love our apartment. It's big, it's central, it's perfect. But what we're doing right now is we are looking for a new apartment, a smaller, less central, cheaper apartment. And what that will allow us to do is redirect that money into this need so we can give long-term to help bear the burdens of the poor that we came across on our recent trip. Tell me, Who, in those two examples, is bearing the burden of the poor and the vulnerable? The second, absolutely. Bear one another's burdens. You know, that could look today like maybe not buying that brand new car because yours is still okay right now and redirecting the funds. It could mean not moving to a bigger apartment but staying put and using that money to meet some of the needs that you've seen around you. It could mean that when we get our pay rise, instead of improving our lifestyle very quickly, we look to improve the lifestyle of others, help others to be lifted out of poverty and out of debt. That's what bearing burdens looks like. Thirdly, loving the poor and vulnerable involves risk. You know, it's no coincidence that Jesus set this scene on the Jericho Road. It's no coincidence as this story is set on the Jericho Road. Now, the Jericho Road was a famous road in those times. And it joined Jerusalem, which was 3,000 feet above sea level, to Jericho, which was only 1,000 feet above sea level and only 17 miles apart. Now, the engineers among you were thinking, that is steep. And you're right, it is very steep. And not only is it steep, but it was full of treacherous terrain full of crags, it was rough terrain, it was a difficult walk, a difficult climb. Not only that, there were loads of caves, and those caves were often filled with bandits, with robbers, people who wouldn't think twice about killing in order to rob those on that road. That's why I said, if you were on that road, you had some place to be going. That's the only reason you would use it. This place was dangerous. And so to stop and to help someone else on that road, quite simply, meant taking your life into your own hands. It involved great risk. If you were to stop and help someone that was hurt, you were taking risk upon yourself that was huge. Why would you do it? You know, some of the big objections today to helping the poor and vulnerable are these. You might think, well, you know what? Maybe they're in this situation because they made bad decisions. Maybe it's their fault that they're poor. Maybe it's their fault. Or, what if they take what I give them and they misappropriate it? What if they use it for all the wrong reasons? And what if I get used? What if I get hurt? You know, <laughs> there's, only one, there's only one way to answer those objections. Loving the poor and the vulnerable the way that we are called to as a people will involve risk. It will involve risk. Is it their fault sometimes? Yes, it is. People make bad decisions. People sometimes are not as financially literate as we are. Will some people take the gifts that you give them and disappear? Yeah, trust me, they will. They will. They will. Will they use what you give them and then not thank you and then let you down and hurt you? Yeah, at times they will. At times they will. But we're called to do it anyway. We are called to do it anyway. Why? Because Jesus did it for us. Jesus did it for us. You know, in Ephesians, Paul basically says, You're like that person on the road. See, when Christ came upon us, we were dead, Paul says, in our sins. We were dead in our sins. And guess what? It was our fault that we were in that situation to begin with because it was our sin. What did he do? He came anyway. He took the risk and he came anyway. Secondly, Paul says in Romans, you know, when he did that, when he saw us dying on the road, do you know what we were? We were his enemies. We were God's enemies. We hated God. We were his enemies. We didn't want him. We didn't love him. We weren't going to thank him. Guess what? He came anyway. Jesus came knowing that his grace, his free gift of grace, would be misappropriated. It would be used as a license to carry on sinning at times. What did he do? He came anyway. He responded anyway. Look, responding to the poor and the vulnerable, loving the poor and the vulnerable the way that God has called us to do it will involve risk. It will involve risk. Lastly, loving the poor and vulnerable involves redefining the term neighbor. In fact, radically redefining the term neighbor. In verse 36, it says this. Which of these three, Jesus says to the uh, the, the law expert, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, when we think of neighbor, we often think about those who are like us, those who are from our part of town. Now in Dubai, because it is so culturally and economically diverse, people usually group around those who are like them, don't they? Not always, but generally that's how it works. So I wouldn't mind betting if your neighbor in your part of town is from a similar place as you. Maybe even the same town back home. Westerners stick with Westerners, Easterners with Easterners. It seems to be how it works. But Jesus here is calling us to radically rethink that kind of thing. You know, we're quick to think when we think about neighbor as those who are like us, those who look like us, think like us, act like us, spend their money like us, go on holiday like us, whatever it might be. We think about people who are like us. But in this parable, you'll notice that Jesus removes two things. Firstly, Jesus is deliberate in removing all the limitations we put up around how we go about helping the poor and vulnerable and how far we will go to help the poor and the vulnerable. And secondly, he removes all limitations as to who we will go to and who we will love by redefining what neighbor actually means. You see, a Samaritan helping a Jew, a Samaritan helping a Jew, totally, made the point and forcefully made the point that our neighbor is anyone we come across in need. Anyone who we come across who is vulnerable. They are our neighbors, even if they're from a different culture than us, even if they think differently than us, even if they come from different economic backgrounds than us. Anyone in need is our neighbor, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, Jesus says. We're to meet the needs of our neighbor, those who we come across in need, as zealously as we would go about meeting our own needs. That's radical. Anyone in need is our neighbor. And you see, loving those who are not our own, going to those who are not our own, loving those who are not from our side of the tracks, from our part of town, is a radical demonstration of the love of God shown to us through Jesus Christ, that he would come to those not his own to save those not his own. It's a radical demonstration of the gospel. The question is, who has God put on your road right now? Who has God put on your road? Is he anyone on your road who you come into contact with who is in need is on your road? Maybe God has put them there. Maybe it begins here. Paul says to the church in, in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. You know, the person sitting on your row right now or behind you or in front of you, they may be from a completely different place, a completely different background. But if they're carrying a burden, they're your neighbor and we're to meet their needs, even if, especially if that costs us somehow. Maybe it's in your building a poor family that lives on your floor or below you. They're your neighbor. They're our neighbors. Maybe it's a person you work with who is completely different than you, but they're carrying burdens. They are vulnerable. They are poor. They too are our neighbors. Jesus says, meet the needs of your neighbor as zealously as you would go about meeting your own. You see, when we do this, When we do this, we become agents of mercy and compassion. When we do that, we powerfully put on display the beauty and the love of God to the world. Let me tell you something, the world will take notice. When we take up the call to be agents of compassion and agents of mercy, wherever we find ourselves, when we respond to the needs of those we find on our road, We as a people, we as a church, put the love and the beauty of God on display. Isn't that powerful? When we don't, we hide the beauty and the love of God from the world. It's as simple as that. Who is our neighbor? Anyone. Anyone that we come across who is in need. I'm going to end with this. Now I'm going to show you a video, okay? You know, (laughs) Jesus purposefully put the Jew on the road, okay? I mean, the Samaritan could have been the one dying on the road, and the Jew could have come along and helped him. But he purposefully put the Jew on the road in need. Why? Because he wanted that religious teacher, that teacher of the law, the law expert, to imagine what it would be like for him to be in that situation, Okay, that's why he did it. He wanted him to think about, what would it be like if I was in that situation? And we too today are supposed to consider what would it be like if we were in that situation? What if our only hope was to receive compassion and mercy from somebody who owed us absolutely nothing? What if our only hope was to receive compassion and mercy from someone actually who was justified in leaving us to die. In leaving us to die. That's what we're supposed to ask. You see, the reality is this morning, the man in the road, the man dying in the road, is us. That's you this morning. It's me. It's you. It's you. We are the man dying in the road. We were the man As Paul says in Ephesians, who was dead in our sins, dead, dying. We were the man who was the enemy of the one who was going to show us mercy. That was us. But you see, the great Samaritan, the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ, he showed us mercy and he showed us compassion. He showed us mercy, and he showed us compassion. He laid aside all that he had, the beauty and the majesty of heaven, to come down, to walk our road, a dangerous, risky road, knowing that he would certainly die. He did that. He took that risk. He took our burdens upon himself, our burden of sin upon himself. He came to us who were not his own so that he could save us and make us his own. You see, we were the people in that road. We were the man in the road, and our only hope was to receive mercy and compassion from a God who would have been justified in leaving us where we were. Let me say this. The only way, the only way that we as a people will respond and be agents of mercy and compassion is if we first have opened our hearts up to the love and the mercy and the grace of the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we will respond. It's only if we realize that we were the man in the road, that we needed mercy and compassion, that we needed grace, that we then will be able to bear the burdens of the poor, even when it costs us, go to those who are not our own, take risk upon ourselves. It's only a life and a heart that has been transformed radically by the gospel and radically changed by the grace shown to us through Jesus Christ. Only then will we respond to the poor and the vulnerable the way that Christ loved us, without limits. Amen? We're gonna, I'm going to show you a video. And this video with Sydney. Thank you, Sydney, for this. Sydney and I spent time in the last couple of weeks with the Filipino consulate team it was a real privilege. We spent hours and hours with them, interviewing them, to put together this video, because I believe this demonstrates far better than I could exactly what this looks like in our church and in our city. So let's kill the lights, let's put the sound up, and um, let's watch this video.
2: The Philippine Consulate Mission started with a burning desire in my heart that God placed in me. First, to know His purposes, why He put me here in Dubai. Then, all of a sudden, God gave revelations of those purposes. With all of these revelations, God turned those desires into a vision. And this vision was later on shared with our City group families.
0: First visit was on September 23, and it was um, uh, a breakthrough really for, for us Filipinos. And it, it is, we just involve few people in our city group during that time. And the, the, the thing is, um, um, we have lots of challenges during, during that time, especially our finances. Yeah. Yeah. And we just can't figure out how to really raise the fund that is really needed
2: on the first kick uh, at the kickoff of the philippine consulate we really did not uh, open it up to a lot of city group city groups first uh, we started with our own city group and we prayed we contributed in whatever way we can to bring it out by the grace of god and then i we asked god together as a city group family we really kneel down to the Lord. Lord, how are you going to do this through us? Uh, Really, but uh, the Lord led us to the story in the Bible uh, entitled, The Feeding of the 5,000.
0: The the more we we come to the Philippine Council at that time, the number of ladies goes higher and higher at the same time. (laughs) And the following year, we we are allowed to visit them for the whole year. We got the slot to visit them, but again the number increases from we started from 120 and it shoot up to to 300 or more.
2: The ladies in the Philippine consulate are uh, overseas Filipino workers who came from the Philippines. And most of them got their job like nannies or like servants, domestic helpers in the household. We have interviewed uh, some of them in the Philippine consulate saying that um, some ladies are being um, burned by flat iron and also like cigarettes. And these are the injustices inhuman maltreatment that they are giving to them. And sometimes they are being locked. That's why, the only way for them to survive is to really escape. And uh, some of them also have the uh, braveness, the courage to just jump on the fourth floor. So I'm really sorry to hear those um, stories over there.
0: So I just thought of telling this to the leadership of the church and appealing to the church as well, to, to, to involve them, all the other city groups in, in, the, in the church in City Hill to be involved in this. So when we have this uh, a frequent announcement in the church, people are just loving it and they want to be involved in it. And yeah. we we don't even know where where the money came from. They just come come up to us and we, we just want to give. We just want to help.
2: Philippine Consulate, uh, one of their requirements in order for us to go in there is We need to um, train these women um, for the livelihood program. Uh, We are teaching them livelihood program to be able for them to start a living when they go back to Philippines. Having this um, livelihood activity, we are teaching them uh, how to start a business in Philippines with a small capital yeah. and then they can be able to provide the needs of their f- families. The livelihood activity which we are teaching them is the gift wrapping, balloon makings, soap makings, candle stamping. At the end of the day it is God's mercy that, that is moving me to share what I got from him. I received so much of his grace I felt so much of His love, and it is definitely overflowing in every way. And when I got here in Dubai, God gave me miraculously a work, a work that is far above on um, the salary package itself than what I am expecting. And then at that time, when God gave me the work sometime in 2016, Feb, February, then I asked God, Lord, what are we going to do with this money? That you are entrusting to me at this point of time. And then, after that question and quest of searching what is the purpose of everything that God is giving to me, God gave the Philippine Consulate Mission. Everything that I got now, I received it freely and lovingly from the Lord Himself. And not for myself alone to be used, I mean, to use those things, but for me to share it because this is what God wants to be done to share it to every person who really is looking for his love and who wants to feel the mercy and compassion
0: of the Lord.
1: See this a group of people. I'm not being moved by that, isn't it? It's incredibly <laughs> a group of people impacted, moved, changed, transformed by the incredible love, mercy and grace of God, and as a result have gone out, borne the burdens of the poor and the vulnerable. Taken risk upon themselves. Gone to those who are not their own. Responded to the call to be neighbors to those in need. Isn't that incredible? Can we applaud them again? Let's just honor them. Come on. You know, I know that there are some of you right now who feel something bubbling in you similar to this. Maybe it's a ministry to people in prison. Maybe it's ministry to the poor in your building. Maybe it's ministry to people in the labor camps. And the one thing that's been holding you back is you're waiting for us, the church, the leadership, to come to you and say, do this, do this. But this started organically. This began as a burning desire to reach the poor, and the vulnerable. They got their city group on board, they put a team together, and now the church is fully on board and fully behind it. If you are burning with something today, let me tell you, we are behind you. We're with you. If you get it started, we'll be there with you. The church will be there with you as agents of mercy and compassion to the city. Can I just ask the Filipino consulate team, you just stand where you are, just very quickly. If you were on that video, just stand up. if you were on the video, it means you were, that you were there helping. Just stand up really quickly where you are. Come on, don't, don't wait too long. Some of you at the back, come forward, you guys. Just come closer. Just, just look around. If you're close to them, can I ask you just to stand and lay hands on them? Just, just gather around. It may mean you need to move out your seats. Just go and gather around somebody that's standing. Those guys at the back there. Girlie at the front here. Just come and lay hands on them. Everybody else, stretch your hand towards them. I want us to pray right now. For these guys as they go about doing an incredible work into that consulate. Just stretch your hands towards them. Father, thank you for these agents of mercy and compassion. Or thank you for this group that you have raised up in this city, Lord, to put on display the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the saving love of Jesus Christ. I pray right now that you would anoint them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would open up many more doors in the future for them. Lord, use them. And I pray, Lord, that they would bear much fruit, much fruit in this city. I pray that the incredible, beautiful aroma of Jesus Christ would just permeate from them into this dark city, I pray that many lives will be transformed, that many people will be changed. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us as a church to finish. Lord, I want to thank you that you have called us to be agents of mercy and compassion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did the same for us. That You did it first. If it wasn't for you, we'd still be dead in the road. Even when we were your enemies, you came. I pray right now, Lord, for us as a church, would you make us agents of mercy and compassion in this city. I pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that the saving love of Jesus would be put on display. I pray for all those right now who are burning with something, whatever it may be. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up many agents of mercy and compassion into the labor camps, Lord, into the prisons, into the poor in our buildings, whatever it may be. I pray right now, raise it up. Raise us up as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank
0: you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.